In this episode of the Songwriter Theory Podcast, we are going to review and or learn some of the main chords that we would use in songwriting, because sometimes it's important to take a step back and make sure that our chord writing toolbox is full, that we are not just using, say, all major chords or just major or minor chords and triads only. We want to make sure that our toolbox is full. So let's dive in. Hello, friend. Welcome to another episode of the Songwriter Theory Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Joseph Vidala. I appreciate you for being willing to spend some time with me today to talk about songwriting and specifically talking about the music theory side of songwriting. Today, if you're interested in diving a little bit deeper than we're going to be able to go today, as far as music theory specifically tailored towards songwriters, be sure to check out my free guide at songwritertheory.com slash music theory guide. It's my simplify music theory, music theory for songwriters guide. We talk about intervals, which is sort of at the basis of all the music theory that you really need to know as, as a songwriter, uh, as well as intervals being in and of themselves helpful to learn and really start thinking of when it comes to melody writing. And then keys, which is extremely foundational. If you don't at least understand keys, then songwriting probably is going to take you like 10 times longer than it would take somebody who does understand keys. Because if you understand keys, you're not going to hit, quote, wrong notes or notes that don't sound good. You can essentially just improvise and it sound good. And then if you add chords and understanding chords to it, which is the third thing, then it goes even deeper, so then your improvisations can be a little more complex and a little more interesting and a little closer to a written song, and then chord progressions, which is sort of that that last level, not only understanding you know, sort of the makeup of chords, but how they flow together and how to think through that element of things. Today, obviously, we're focusing mostly on the chords part because we are talking about that chord toolbox, and we, we have to start from the beginning, right? So this, this is this part that I certainly expect all of us to know, but we got to go over it just, just to make sure just to make sure. So the first thing that is probably at the absolute foundation when it comes to chords is triads. And maybe you've never heard the word triads before, and you might think, oh my gosh, I'm going to drown in this episode because I don't know what a triad is. Don't worry, because you probably do know what triads are. You just might not have ever heard them and called that. So what a triad is, is just a chord made up of thirds that is made up also of three notes. So it's three notes stacked in thirds is often how it's worded. You might still be like, what on earth does that mean? Well, first of all, what are what are triads? The basic answer is they're either major, minor, diminished, or augmented. So if you've ever heard of a C major chord, that would be a triad. A G minor chord would also be a triad. A B flat augmented chord would also be a triad as would a C diminished, etc. So anytime you hear something major, minor, augmented, or diminished, and you probably hear major or minor exponentially more than the other two, in fact, you might have never even heard of the other two, uh, which would probably be fine. They're not, diminished especially is not super useful in my, in my opinion, but not only my opinion, but um, it, it's kind of like a joke on sort of the songwriting side of YouTube of like, hey, can we make diminished work? Um, but anyway, so a triad is any chord that's three notes stacked in thirds. 
So what do we mean by stacked in thirds? Let's take C major, for example. We start with a C, and then we skip over D, which is the next note. That would be the second, because the first from C is just C again. You wouldn't call something a zeroth. <laughs> so first just means the same note. So a second would be a D. But we're skipping over that and instead going to the third, which would be an E, which you know, because you know your, your alphabet. Um, and then again, so we have a third there, C, E, and we skip over F, because that would be a second from E, and we do the third from E, which would be a G. So that is a C major chord, which is just C, E, G, which is just three notes stacked in thirds, right? Because C, skip over D to E, skip over F to G. That's all there is to it. So then the only difference between major or minor is that in the case of major, the first third is a major third, but in a minor chord, the first third is a minor third. So both would have a first and a fifth, and it's always gonna be a perfect fifth. You don't have to know exactly what it is. For the record, it's seven steps, but for frame of reference here, just talking major and minor, for a C major chord, you have a C and a G for both a C major and C minor chord. So the only difference is a C major chord has an E natural, and a C minor chord has an E flat, because you just flatten it. Flatten it just means go down one semitone. Semitone is just the next note. So you go down by whatever the next note is. If you're on a guitar, you go down one fret. That's all, that's the only difference. So there, it's still thirds, right? So it's still C, E flat, but it's still an E, so it's still a third. It's just a minor third, and then G again. So it's still stacked in thirds. If you put it on sheet music, it would still be stacked in the same way. The only difference is there's that little flat symbol next to the E. And then for the record, diminished is just not only is the third flattened, but the fifth is too. So C diminished would be C, E flat, and also G flat. And then augmented is the opposite. You take the major third that you start with, so C, E, and then you raise the fifth. So you would have C, E, G sharp. So anyway, I know that was a lot. Most of this is not super important except to know, hey, you have major and minor, especially triads. They're called triads. The only difference between a major triad and a minor triad is a major goes up by four steps and then three steps. So take our C major again. We have C, we skip over C sharp and D and D sharp to get to E, which is four steps, right? C sharp, one, D, two, D sharp, three, E, four. So it's four steps. And then from there, it's F, F sharp, G, which is three steps. That's our major chord. Minor chords are always going to be three steps followed by four steps. So it's just the opposite. So we start with C, go up one, two, three, which would be C sharp, D, D sharp, but we'd call it E flat in this case to keep it stacked in thirds because C, skip over D, go to E, so E flat. And then it would be four steps to go E, F, F sharp, G. That's how we get our minor triad. Now, where I think this is most important is, okay, but where does this occur naturally? So 
Major chords in major keys occur naturally on the first, fourth, and fifth chords. So take, for example, D major. In D major, the key of D major, the chords that are going to be major chords are going to be D, because that's the first. And then in the key of D, we have E, that's the second. F sharp, that's the third. And then our fourth is G. Okay, so I know we have a G major chord, because I said all four chords are going to be major in a major key. And then we're going to have an A major chord, because that's our fifth. That's our fifth. So because of that, that's our five chord, and that's major as well. So I know that was a ton. Basically, if you are writing a song in a major key, you're writing something in what you would call the key of D major, or you're just writing it in the key of D. Usually if you just say key of D, the implication is major. So in those contexts, you always know that your first, fourth, and fifth chords are going to be major, and your second, third, and sixth chords are going to be minor. And what I mean by that, we'll do a short version because I talked about this in depth in a recent episode, and I don't want to go over it in super depth here. Uh, but all that means is li literally just like count up in the scale that you're in, which is what I just did, right? So let's take E major this time. In your E major scale, or the notes you have in E major, the key, you have E, which would be your first, so that's going to have a major chord, so E major. And then I just said that two and three are minor chords. So we're going to have F sharp minor because F sharp is in the key of E major, not just natural F natural. And then G sharp minor because I said that the three chord would be minor. And then A major because the four chord is major. B major because the five chord is major. C sharp minor because the sixth chord is minor. And then, by the way, the seventh is diminished. Don't use it. It's worthless. So as long as you know the, the notes that you have in your key, because all major keys will have exactly seven notes, as well as all minor keys, you can figure out what chords are what. For the record, in a minor key, your one, four, and five will be minor in a minor key. They were major in a major key, but minor in a minor key. So just remember that reverses. <clears throat> and then the major chords that you would have are the three and the seven and the six. So that's really all you need to know about triads. So the main thing to know, if any of that was overwhelming, is triads are the same thing as major, minor, diminished, or augmented chords, or a better way of looking at it. Major chords, minor chords, diminished chords, and augmented chords are all types of triads. So those are most of your main chords, right? It's very possible you have literally only used major and minor chords in your songwriting so far, which means you have exclusively used triads. But that is simply one type of chord, which brings us to another type of chord that perhaps a lot of us have, have used and perhaps you have used exclusively, depending on the genre you write in, which are dyads. So based on what we know triads to be, it's thirds stacked together, right? So it's three notes, tri, stacked in thirds. So doubling down on the tri part, right? So die is probably two, right? So uh, dyads are the same thing as power chords. So if you're a guitarist and you think like, oh, D power chord, that is the exact same as a dyad. And if you ever use chord sheets, what you'll see for a dyad very often is something like D5, right? So if you just see D, you know it's a D major chord. 
that's usually what's implied anyway. Usually you have a lowercase m to say minor. Uh, and if you just have plain D or plain C or whatever it is, that means major. But if you if you have D5, you know to take out that third. Which is just a power chord. Because every power chord, whether you do the two-note version or three-note version, is simply the first and the fifth. The only difference is the three-note version goes first, fifth, and then it does the first again. Just the octave up. Right? So it's essentially this which this would be a G5 or a G power chord, D, or sorry, G, D, and then just another G. So there's no third. So this could be, you know, under, underlying it, it could be a G minor chord or a G major chord. We don't even know because it's just a dyad. It doesn't have the third, and that third is what determines whether it's major or minor, which is part of the beauty of a dyad. Dyads are super vague, which can leave them very mysterious sounding. Right? It sounds it just sounds kind of neutral. Right? Because this could become this or it could become and now all of a sudden it's major, right? So it's they're a little vague. And the beauty of vagueness is it allows you to do a lot more uh, melodically and in other parts sometimes because it's vague. And it also is a great place to sort of give your song sort of a feeling of not necessarily being unstable, but unsure of where it's going to go. Right? Is this a darker sounding song or a lighter sounding song? But anyway, what are dyads? Two notes, we covered that part, right? And it's just the first and the fifth. So if we take our major or minor triad, it literally is a major or minor triad. You just take out the third. That's it. So if we take our C major triad, C, E, G, just take out the third, which is the E, boom, we have a C5 or a C power chord or a C dyad, all the same. So this is what you're doing when you're doing power chords. They're super useful. They're not just useful for the fact that power chords, you know, you can't, you can, but it usually doesn't sound very good if you do open chords with distortion, right? So if you're doing distortion, you probably almost exclusively do power chords because it gets really muddy sounding otherwise. And a part of the reason for that is all the overtones that distortion adds. You don't have to know what overtones are. Just basically think uh, notes that are implied and technically sonically are there when it, when it comes to the physics of it. So for example, when I play this G, technically what you hear is a a G, but then there's slight, you can slightly hear like certain other notes. Those are overtones. We won't bore you with, with the too much of that. Just, just know that when you hear a note, not only are you hearing that note, but technically you're hearing, uh, little, little bits of, of what you could qualify as other pitches. Um, but that's, that's not super important except to know that a part of the beauty of a dyad is because it's more vague, it has less harmonically going on. It can have all those sort of added overtones from distortion and still sound good, um, which is why they're used so often in rock music or anything that's using distorted guitar. But I'm also here to tell you dyads are very useful outside of that context. I like to use dyads a ton um, in, in, in piano parts even. Just because I like how it sounds kind of vague, 
it, it can be sort of made into an eerier sound or a a just unsure sound. And as somebody who prefers to write not usually happy music, I'd consider it at least like vaguely morose. Like I like to think there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but it, I lean darker for sure. So if you're anything like that, if you're with me on the sort of you like doing some some things that are maybe a little on the sadder side, really thinking deeply about life and not just, you know, writing a song that that makes people tap their feet and happy. If you like that type of thing, try out using dyads. And the easy place to do that is, hey, literally just take out the third where you normally would have a major chord or a minor chord. Just just take out the third and try it. There are also bigger beauties of it that we don't really have time to dive into here. I believe I did a podcast dedicated to dyads and my love of them uh, and, and why you should love them too. So feel free to check that out. I might be misremembering. I'm pretty sure there is though, but you'll have to forgive me. There's been like 172. I think this is number 172. So I don't remember every episode, but um, the basic idea is the less pitch information you have, the more you can do with some of the other pitches, because at, at some point it gets busy, right? If I play literally every note in an octave, that sounds terrible, right? That's because I'm playing every note, but how many do I need to take away before it starts sounding okay? It helps that that's so low. Okay, that's actually starting to sound okay, right? I took out three of the notes. What about... Okay, now it's sounding clean. How about... Oh, wow. Now it's it's almost just octaves, right? So that was me just one note at a time taken away. It starts really muddy and gross sounding and eventually it sounds fine. That's just to illustrate the idea of... Uh, the, the less information you have maybe in your instrument part, so say your piano part is just doing dyads, the tendency is your melody can do a lot more interesting things that are outside of what the chord is implied to be without sounding off. Whereas if you have three notes in your chord in a triad, uh, it becomes a little more opinionated about what sounds right and what doesn't sound right, which limits your melody a little bit more, which is fine. Just know that if you want to really go over the top with like not really changing chords that much, but also being able to sing whatever you want in the key, dyads might be the way to go. Brings us to chord number four. And by four, I mean three. Sus chords. So sus chords, literally just you take your major or minor and you remove the third, kind of like a dyad, but then you replace it with either a second or a fourth. These can be incredibly useful for a lot of scenarios. A sus chord is a great way to take a boring four chord, basic major minor chord progression and make it instantly much more interesting just by making a subtle change. Um, so again, we'll go to C major just to keep it simple here. So we have our C, our E and our G. I'm sure you know about that by now because I've said it five times or 50 times or something in this episode. Um, so we're taking out the third in a sus chord. So we're taking out that three, which leaves us with the dyad that we just talked about, which would be a C5. It's just a C and then the fifth from the C, hence five, which is a G. 
So we take the third out and then replace it with either a second or a fourth. So that's all there is. So if you think of the triad again, right? We have one, skip two, three, skip four, and then the five. So we're taking out the third and there's in between our first and our fifth, right? There's a two, three, and four. So take out the three and replace it with a two for a sus two. Replace it with a four for a sus four. Simple, easy way to make your chord progression more interesting is to simply swap out one of these for a regular major or minor chord. Um, in, in fact, you could even do a whole chord progression that has all like C major, C sus two, C sus four, C major again, right? You could build a whole chord progression just off of doing different suspensions. So highly recommend adding that to your toolbox for what it's worth. If you ever see just C sus somewhere, uh, that's implied to be a C sus four. So whenever you just see sus, that means sus four. So just like when you just see C or G, it's implied to be major because that's very much more often what it is. Uh, in the same way, if you just see sus without a specified, it's going to be a sus four for any of you who use chord charts or like to make chord charts. Um, so that being said, just sort of know, hey, sus fours are more common. Um, so maybe try those first. I'm a big fan of sus twos as well. I think they have different uses. We don't have time to dive too deeply into this. I think there's a video coming out that I'm going to do that takes a bit more of a deep dive into sus chords and why I really enjoy using them, and you should too. And uh, it kind of gets into the deeper what's going on harmonically with them uh, and how that affects us as songwriters and what we can do. So be sure to, to stay tuned. Uh, that will be on the YouTube channel. But... That's all we'll say for now. Sus chords, again, take out the third, put in a second or fourth. Note that this is a second or fourth in the context of the key. So let's take a um, E major chord in the context of E major. So E, G sharp, and B. A sus four would have an A instead. And a sus2 would have an F sharp. Because again, in the key of E major, there is no F, there's an F sharp. Um, and if any of that part confuses you, first of all, download the guide I mentioned at the beginning. Uh, it will teach you to know keys, uh, which are very important. I think they should be memorized at some point. But just learning how to figure out all the notes in the keys is a good first step, which that does and also gives you some so hopefully helpful ways to eventually kind of start to memorize it. Um, so be sure to check that out if it's confusing you. Otherwise, like you can always Google that part, right? Like just know what notes you have in a key. So after sus chords, we have add chords. Add chords are basically a hybrid between a sus chord and, well, that's not entirely fair. But it, it, it kind of takes the concept of a sus chord and a triad and combines them together. So an add chord is exactly what it sounds like. You take a chord, which by the way is going to be usually a triad. So let's say C major again. And then you just add another note. 
That's all it is. Now, the most common are add twos, otherwise known as add nines, add fours, otherwise known as add elevens, and add sixes, um, which are also called add thirteens. And the reason that they're called that is just if you think of so so let's take a C major chord for instance. We have C E G and add two based on our C sus two conversation, right? Hopefully you know like okay, well you have a C skip over D E skip over F to G for our our original C major. So an add two would just add that D in there. Sounds really muddy down there. There we go. <laughs> Yeah, by the way, little little side bonus thing here that sometimes people don't think about. Uh, I'm going to play the same exact chord two octaves lower. That sounds super muddy and terrible, right? Went up three octaves. All of a sudden, it sounds just fine. Still fine. Starting to get a little muddy. Sounds terrible. Keep that in mind. If you have like notes closer to each other and more dissonance higher up, it's, it's, it sounds, tends, I can English, tends to sound better. Uh, but be really careful lower down to not have too many notes that are too close to each other. Um, so anyway, so add, add chords, literally just add the note that you specify. And I was going to explain why add two and add nines are the same. So if you just think, let's take C major again. And add two is adding a D because C is one, D is two. If we count up though, C is one, D is two, E is three, F is four, G is five, A is six, B is seven, C but an octave up is eight, and then D but an octave up is nine. So if we're gonna be really, really picky about what we call things, this is an add nine, and you could say this is an add two. Now it's the same notes, and usually one doesn't necessarily care about the order. If you do want to specify that it's like this, maybe call it an add two. If you just want to specify, hey, this chord has a C, an E, a G, and a D, uh, which is an add two slash add nine, maybe call it add nine. It seems to me add nine is more often what's used. Um, so. Add four to add 11 is the same thing, right? It's the same math. So two to nine is the same as four to 11. There's a difference of seven between them, right? Six and 13, same thing. So something that an add chord can do is that it adds that like intensity through the dissonances, which is somewhat what a sus chord is doing as well, right? Because if we take our C major chord again, like that's just kind of sonically a little boring right which which can be totally fine for a lot a lot of songs and a lot of parts in the song but if it's all just like it starts to get boring at some point and i know I'd, i picked like all the most boring things there and i also am working on a tiny little synth thing and i don't have a pedal and all that but so there's many reasons that that sounds incredibly boring but um it's amazing how the little tension that's created through the more dissonant intervals you get from a sus chord, right? Right there. That's what causes some serious intrigue. Or a sus four, right? Like that's an interval in air sus chord for 
sus4 chord. That's what that's what gives that little tension, that intrigue. And add, add chords are no different, right? So an add two sounds like this. So it's, it's got that major sound, but it's got that added little dissonance right there. Add four. There's some serious dissonance. And the reason there's serious dissonance is in this case, I'm doing a C major add four for the record. And part of the reason there's so much dissonance here compared to this. So let's listen for this. Tell me which one you think has more dissonance. This one or that one. You probably said the second one and you'd be right. Uh, and that's because the first one we have C skip over D sharp to D or sorry, D flat to D skip over E flat to E. So we all have made, these are major second intervals. Again, if you don't know what that means, check out the free guide, songwritertheory.com slash music theory guide. So, um, so both, all of those, that's a major second. That's a major second. And then we have our third here. So it's not too dissonant because major seconds are more dissonant than thirds for sure, but they're not super dissonant. But in our, in our add four, on our C major, we actually have C, E, F, and there is no F flat, right? I mean, F flat would technically just be E, but therefore we have a minor second interval right here. There's semitones apart between the E and the F, and then a major second between the F and the G because F, F sharp, G. So that's why it sounds more dissonant. It literally is more dissonant because in this context, a C add four, C major add four specifically has a third, a major third, another major third, but it has this minor second. There is no minor second in the add two. Now this is gonna depend what chord it is. If you're on a minor chord, I believe the opposite is gonna be true. All right, so if we have a, a minor chord, our add two, that one has that minor second to sound extra dissonant. But our add four or add 11 is now the one that has all major seconds. So it's less dissonant. So just note how close these notes are together. If you want that really dissonant sound, Go for the one that contains the semitone, which is the same as a minor second, which is just one note to the very next note. That's all that is. Uh, major second means not to the very next note, but to the one after that. So just quick thing. C to C sharp. That's a semitone, AKA a minor second. But C skipping over C sharp to D, that's a major second. So the difference is this sound being in your chord versus this, right? It's a lot more dissonant. So add chords can add intensity and dissonance to your chords. They also just make it sound much more harmonically complex just by adding a fourth note. Because if you think about it super scientifically for a moment, a triad is three notes, right? Which means your, your harmonies are, actually you could think of it, that you technically have only really two intervals. You can see it as, as 
three from a certain point of view, but let's just take a basic triad, right? So we have this interval and that interval, essentially, right? But there's three total notes. I think notes is the easier way to think of it. In an ad chord, we have four notes, which, so we're adding one extra note. You say, well, that doesn't seem like a big deal. Well, that's 33% more, right? We only had three. We added a fourth one. That's 33% more um, pitch information that we're giving, which is a lot more. That's a significant amount, especially since nobody would say a major or minor chord sounds empty per se. You might accuse a dyad of that because they're pretty empty, which I think is great if you're using it for an effect. Um, but add chords go in the opposite direction, right? Now you have four. Speaking of four, uh, you may wonder, well, okay, so I get there's an add two, a.k.a. add nine, add four, a.k.a. add 11, add six, which we didn't really talk much about, but it's just you add the six, which adds the six. So in a C major, it would be C, E, G, and then you add that six, which is A. So... I can't help but notice, okay, our chords have a one, a three, and a five. We talked about adding a two, and a four, and a six. But you said there are seven notes in a key. So why is there one missing from the add chord discussion? That's because we actually call chords that have an added seventh, they're just their own type of chord. We call them seventh chords. And seventh chords, very much tend to have a very jazzy sound because jazz uses a, just a, a ton, a ton of, of these. In fact, as I play that, you're probably like, ooh, jazz, right? Even though I'm not playing jazz at all, I'm literally just playing a chord, right? So that's a seventh chord. The easy way to think of a seventh chord is it's literally a triad with yet another third stacked on top. So we had our C major triad, right? C. Skip over D to E, skip over F to G, and then skip over A to B. And there's our seventh chord. Now, there are different types of seventh chords, which I'm not going to get into because I think that, generally speaking, the way you should be writing music is starting with a key or a mode. Um, but regardless, you should understand what notes you have at your disposal, and then you add whatever seventh you have in the key. Uh, whether it's So whether it's this or this or whatever else it may be you're just adding whatever the seventh is that is naturally occurring in the key um so we could talk about dominant sevenths and all that kind of stuff uh but i think that's going a little too deep here because that's where that's where we start to get into the territory start i don't think it's fully in the territory but that's where you start to get into the territory of where I think music theory starts to become a little more academic knowledge than it is necessarily helpful. And I'm not saying it's not helpful, but a very common accusation, which is false against music theory, is that it's, like I hear this all the time, is purely academic knowledge. Um, now, the only people who would ever say that are people who don't know music theory, because if, they, if you know music theory, you know that is not true. It is extremely practical, um, but, but it's one of those that, like, it's it's overstated the anti-music theory, anti-academic crowd, which I, I don't understand. If, if you're into songwriting, like, don't you want to learn about music? Like, <laughs> I just don't understand. It's, it's, it's like being totally uninterested in learning anything about, I don't know, the hero's journey as an author. 
right? Like, I mean, you should at least know the hero's journey. It doesn't mean you have to adhere to it completely, but like, it's so foundational to how stories are told that it's, it's just like, why, why do you, why do you like ignorance? I, I don't, I don't really understand. But anyway, so that crowd though, um, is they're wrong. There is a ton of music theory that's extremely practical to write songs more efficiently, to write more interesting songs, uh, to be intentional about uh, creating certain effects and and sounds and and having certain dissonances to add tension or relieve tension. So there's a lot that's super useful. But admittedly, there is a point at which music theory starts to become a little more academic, like, ooh, I know a fact that's good on a, on a flashcard or may impress you, but isn't really useful for just songwriters writing songs. Um, and and maybe even are not super useful to people doing mu- actual music compositions. Uh, I would argue probably as a seventh chord thing is right right on the line, right on the line. So we're not going to dive too deep into that. Just know that if you take a triad and then just add a fourth one, a fourth third, that's how you get your seventh chords. Now, like any other chord, I'll just throw out there that inversions are a thing. Inversions... Uh, the simple way to look at inversions is just when you have a chord, let's take C major to keep it simple again. It involves the notes C, E, and G. It doesn't need to be in that order, though. So that is also, even though that's E, G, C, that's still a C major chord. It's just the first inversion. And the second inversion is G, C, and then E on top. And just playing around with inversions, especially if you're a pianist, a lot of times if you're a guitarist, based on the way you're playing chords, it doesn't matter as much. Um, Although it can if you're a competent guitarist and you're doing triads that aren't just open chords and stuff. Um, But especially if you're a pianist, noting to use different inversions of chords can make a world of difference because... Uh, the go-to example I usually do is something like this is a one five six four without using inversions. Sounds super blocky and terrible, right? Versus that was using different inversions to kind of keep it all together. And it sounds just more together and more cohesive like a song than exact same chord progression. Oh, whoops. It's the exact same chord progression, but sounds much better just using inversions to, to keep it all kind of in the same area. So you can do the same thing with seventh chords where, so you can do C, E, G, B, or you can do B, C, um, E, and then G to have that bit of a different sound. Or that. As right, so a play around with inversions, especially if you're a pianist, I'll just throw that in there. But for the most part, seventh chords, just think, all right, I added the first, third, fifth from a major or minor chord. Now just add whatever the seventh note is in whatever the seventh note from the first note of the chord, but take whatever it is in the key. So take, for example, an F, an F seventh chord in the key of C major. I know that I have F, G, A, and then all the way to E, or sorry, to C for my F major chord, F, A, C. And then in the context of C major, I know I have an E natural 
So it will be that. Whereas in another key where I have an E flat, then I know it would have the it flattened instead. I don't think it's important to go any deeper than that. Maybe I'll do an episode that dives deeper into seventh chords. I think I did do an episode, actually, now that I think about it, that really dove into, like, you know, here's the difference between dominant sevenths and all that other stuff. But I n never even really think about it that much. So I figured in this one we should skip it. I don't think it's that important in your songwriting as long as you know, hey, add a seventh to this chord and whatever that, whatever type it is in the key, right? If I have an E flat in my key, then do E flat. If it's just E natural, do E natural. If the last note is G, if G flat is the note that's in my key, use G flat. If G sharp is the G in my key, use that. That's all you really, really, really need to know. So I hope this was helpful to you. Hopefully you either got good review here and maybe learned a little bit about why you might want to use certain chords, uh, but the main function here was especially if you're somebody who's been stuck with major and minor, major, minor, major, minor, or maybe just all major or all minor, I don't know, or, or all just using power chords. Hopefully now you have more things in the toolbox to use. Specifically, if you haven't tried a sus chord, just, just like throw one sus chord in your chord progression to change it up. So we'll use the one, five, six, four, cause it's the most made up, made, made fun of chord progression in history. Um, so that was this, right? Kind of boring, but what if instead we do... Like, just using that one, uh, you can see it either as a, a G sus four or just G sus. Or you can see it as a C sus two, depending. It would depend on what your bass note is. If you have a G, then it's probably the G sus. But um, so literally just changing it from C major and then G sus instead of G major, and then our A minor and, and F major. Right there, it all it, it just gets a little bit more interesting. And it's subtle, but when you build out the whole arrangement, it really, just throwing one in can make a big difference. Anyway, don't want to take any more of your time. Hopefully this was helpful. If it was, be sure to also download the Music Theory Guide, songwritertheory.com slash musictheoryguide. It will, if there were any things I said here that you thought, wow, you really rushed through that, like, I was really lost on what first, third, fifth meant and what do you mean by four chord and all that kind of stuff that I briefly explained. If any of that, either I didn't give a very good explanation in the like five seconds I gave myself to try to explain it, uh, or you just were a little overwhelmed, there was a lot going on, or you just want a really good guy that will not only teach you this stuff, but but teach you the, the whole bit of what I really think songwriters need to know. Um, specifically for songwriting, which goes in past just what chords you have, but also chord progressions and thinking from like how to go from one chord to the next. Be sure to grab that guide, songwritertheory.com slash music theory guide, always in the show notes um, or whatever your podcast provider calls it. Also, if you enjoy this podcast or it hel helps you out, be sure to leave a kind review on iTunes. And dang it, dang it, dang it. I did it again. Apple Podcasts. I feel like I was on, I think I'd had a two-week streak where I said it right. But anyway, <laughs> Apple Podcasts or whatever 
provider you use. That helps me out, helps other people out to be able to find this podcast. So if you find it helpful and, you know, people see, a, you know, 4.8 stars or 4.6 stars or whatever, then they're more likely to try it out and then they can be helped as well. That way we can have hopefully a larger and larger community of people that care about quality songwriting that don't just want the easy three steps to a hit song or whatever lies are out there. Um, and people who are dedicated to the craft of songwriting and don't just, uh, I don't know, want a hit song or whatever. Uh, so if you want to join me in that mission, great way you can do that is simply leaving a kind review. I appreciate every single one of you. I appreciate all of you who shoot me emails. I appreciate all of you who have left some kind reviews in the past. I appreciate all of you who leave kind comments on the YouTube videos as well. Have an awesome week, and I hope to talk to you in the next one.